0: Amen. Can we just give God a little more praise before we move any further in this service? God, I thank you for your presence that's already here. God, I I thank you and I worship you this morning because you're deserving of it. You're mighty and you're glorious, God. You've never lost a battle. God, and I thank you for that. You're faithful, God. Amen. Amen. It feels good in the house this morning. I'm so thankful to be here at Truth Chapel. Uh, so thankful to be with my, my friends, uh, Brother Court and Sister Amanda Chavis, great friends. As you already mentioned, we've known each other for a long time, but I just, I mean, hopefully you know this and hopefully you've been told this, but you have one of the most incredible pastors and pastor's family I know, and I genuinely mean that. They're amazing. And, and so I'm just going to be real comfortable because I can't sing like him. I don't even know that I can preach like him, so I'm just going to be myself this morning. And, you know, I just want to say, if it's your first time at Truth Chapel, you're in good company. It's my first time at Truth Chapel, so welcome. We're experiencing this together. But I'm also thankful my wife is here with me. Today you've already heard her sing, and it's kind of hard to follow her. She's uh, my favorite singer. Uh, and I, I have a picture. Of, uh, we have two two little girls. I almost thought about bringing them, but they were just taking over everything. Uh, but uh, we have... Claire is four uh, and Elise is two, and they are wild, uh, but they are ours, and we love them. Uh, They're amazing. So miss my girls, but always thankful. And it's it's great to be here. Uh, Courtney, Sydney, and and Isaac, thank you, Courtney, for coming all the way just to hear me preach today. I know you just drove all this way. I, I appreciate that, but I'm thankful to be here today. And I believe that God has a word for you, I, I, I'm, I'm excited about it, I'm, I'm burdened with it, and I just want to tell you before I even begin that I believe that, that what I have to share today is, is vitally important for everyone, but I specifically feel that it is urgent for several, and so I want to just share what, what God has laid on my heart, I'm going to go directly to the Word of God, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 14, Exodus chapter 14 verse 4, and I'm reading from the, the New Living Translation, kind of the conversational tone I love of this translation and and Exodus 14 4 says and once again I will harden Pharaoh's heart this is God speaking I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army after this the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord so the Israelites camped there as they were told. Today I'm preaching from the topic, what to do in the desert. What to do in the desert. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to, I'm going to move quickly through, through this portion of, of scripture, but I want to take you this morning on a journey with the Israelites, with the people of God. And if you just give me just a little bit of time, I, I kind of want to show you a, a bird's eye view of what was happening. I, I don't want to say I, I'm a trendsetter. I don't want to say that I'm doing something that's never been done before. But, but if you're like me, I will look at a scripture and I will, I will hone in on one scripture. I will just zone in. And sometimes I forget kind of the bigger picture. So I don't know if you've ever done this. I'm going to preach through three books of the Bible. Hope that's okay. I don't mean time frame literally. But we're, we're going to kind of fast track Uh, with the Israelites and kind of look at what's happening in this time with the people of God because uh, as you know many times we see parallels and 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 the Bible parallels the the Israelite people as the people of God with us as the people of God today so I believe that as we as we look at this story of the Israelites in this desert in this wilderness we will find ourselves in this story so I just want to take a moment and and, and kind of zoom out a little bit and look at what's happening. And so, if I were to rewind for more context in Exodus chapter 6, we see that God promises Moses that he will deliver his people. They've been in Egyptian bondage for uh, a little over 400 years at this point. Exodus 7, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. This is the, the portion of scripture where a staff is turned into a serpent, and we see that God begins to bring plagues upon Egypt. It's a plague of blood, uh, ter- uh, water turning into blood. Uh, Exodus chapter 8, as you continue moving, we see a plague of frogs on Egypt. We see a plague of gnats. We see a plague of flies. Exodus chapter 9, you continue on and got a plague against livestock, plague of boils, a plague of hail. Exodus 10, a plague of locusts, a plague of darkness. Exodus 12 is the first Passover, the, the angel of death on Egypt and Exodus 12 and 29, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons of Egypt. That brings this to a head in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. Pharaoh tells Moses to take his people and to go. And, and the Egyptians even urge the Israelites, look, we'll, we'll pack your bags for you. Just get out. So they leave. The Israelites leave. And this is an amazing turning point in the people of God in their life because Israel had been in bondage for 430 years and now they have been miraculously freed by the power of God. How many of you in this room have been delivered from something in your life? Has anybody seen that same miraculous power at work in your life? Amen. And I want to tell somebody today, if, if you have never received the gift of the Holy Spirit, If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, if you have never experienced the redemptive power of Jesus at work in your life, that that gift is alive and well and it is here for you today, and I believe that before you leave this service, you can be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We can baptize you today. You can be set free. So they leave. They leave Egypt in Exodus chapter 13. The the Bible says that God literally leads them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 14 we get to our key text again and God tells Moses look he, he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. they're going to chase after the Israelites and pursue them. but again God says, but you know this is, this is my plan. I, I have done this. I am planning this to show my glory. So camp right here. So we see the uh, the Egyptians are bearing down on them with 600 chariots. they're afraid and then we know that God parts the Red Sea through Moses the The Israelites walk through and the sea swallows up the Egyptians. This amazing, miraculous deliverance. Uh, Incredible, yet another example of God's miraculous power. Exodus chapter 15 contains a song written by Moses and, and the people unto the Lord, thanking him for his deliverance. But, later in that chapter, I want us to look together and see what we find. So we just said, miracle, 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 deliverance, miracle, miracle. Okay, Just recap. But we're in Exodus 15, and look at this. Exodus 15, verse 24. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Here God gives the people a little test. He gives them a promise by reminding them, look, if you just listen to what I say and you do what I say to do, I will heal you. I am the God who heals you. Listen to me and I will bring your healing. Yet another miraculous reminder of the power of God. Now this is an interesting contrast to what we've just seen happening in, in the lives of the people of Israel, but it's an interesting pattern that begins to unfold in the hearts of the people of Israel in the desert. Exodus 16, guess what we see? Yes, another incredible, miraculous move of God, but it also contains complaining, whining, and disobedience. The chapter starts by explaining that they were Continuing to journey into the wilderness, it says it was the 15th day of the second month since departing Egypt. But look at verse 2 of Exodus 16. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. So God says, you know what, fine. I'm going to rain food on you. Let's, let's go. So, so he rains down quail from the sky and manna, which the Bible says, by the way, it says it was like as light as snowflakes and flavor like honey. So I, I don't know what you got to complain about. And he goes on to say, look, only get what you need. Don't try to save it because I will give you what you need tomorrow. That's a whole different message. But he says, uh, of course, people don't listen, right? They go out and they try to hoard all the food. And then they wake up to find it full of maggots. Right? God says, look, you try to take my work into your hands, you're going to ruin it. Then God says, look, on the sixth day, gather enough food for the last day, the Sabbath, and the holy day. If you'll have enough, you don't need to work on the seventh day. So again, over and over, we see miracle, miracle, provision, deliverance. But you know what? The desert makes people do crazy things. The desert makes you distrust. The desert makes you desperate. The desert makes you selfish. So we see this pattern unfold, God doing something in the wilderness, in the desert, but the people keep complaining, disobeying, they're murmuring at every turn. I'm going to give you one guess what we find in Exodus chapter 17. Just one guess. You can preach this message at this point. They keep moving and they camp at a place where there is little water. Guess what? They complain again. They say, Moses, why, why did you bring us out here? Are you trying to kill us? And Moses says, God, what, what am I supposed to do? God says, strike a, wa- a rock and water will come out for them to drink. And we see the water from the rock. Exodus 17, verse 7. Moses named this place Massah, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. He literally named the place. You are called arguing. Because that is what you are known for. Because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested by the Lord by saying, look at the progression of what they're saying. Is the Lord here with us or not? The Amalekites attack in the same chapter and Israel defeats them in an amazing battle. This is a time where as long as Moses' hands were held up by Aaron and her, Joshua and the army had victory of the enemy. No big deal. Just another miraculous move and demonstration of God's power. Just hang with me here. And We see Exodus 19, God speaks to Moses up on a mountain and says, Moses, you know I'm powerful. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. If you'll obey me and keep my covenant, I will make this nation a special treasure among all people. Promises, promises, purpose, future, declaration. God is sowing into the Israelites. God is sowing into Moses. God is sowing into his people. So Moses tells the people, and they respond, We will do it, Moses. We will do everything God asks of us. God brings Moses up on a mountain and speaks to him, and the people see lightning and thunder and God's power. Exodus 24 God calls Moses up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone on which God had inscribed the commandments. Moses tells the people, then Moses goes to the mountain. The glory of the Lord appears on the mountain, summit like a consuming fire. Moses disappeared into the clouds as he climbed higher, remained there 40 days and 40 nights. I know I'm moving quick, but I'm just trying to give you the, the expansiveness of the goodness of God and the people of Israel. I'm trying to show you, not just one thing, time after time. From Exodus chapter 24, God is... Literally giving them the plans of what to do and how to live. Wouldn't that be nice? I would love a tablet of stone that says, do these things and you'll be good. That'd be great. We have scripture, obviously, but but God is literally telling them, keep these commandments and you're good. Amazing things. But then we get to Exodus 32, a pivotal chapter. Pivotal chapter. Exodus 32. Look at this. Verse 1, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears of your wives and sons and daughters. Bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. He announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So as I I read that, I, I just ask, how in the world could this happen? How could this be their perspective? How could they get to this place? Let's just, let's just go, let's recap real quick. Supernatural signs. Plagues in Egypt to get them out. Pillar of cloud by day. Pillar of fire by night. Parting of the Red Sea. Swallowing up the Egyptians. Turning the bitter water sweet. Quail and manna from the sky. Water from a rock. The defeat of the Amalekites. God's mighty power on the mountaintop speaking. God taking Moses into the mountaintop like a consuming fire. So how after all of that? Do you turn away from God? How do they get to this place in their mind and their perspective? What on earth would make them act this way? What would make them do this in the desert? Literally at every point God is blessing them, giving them promises, giving them direction. But they do nothing but complain. No matter how many times God works miracles, they respond with unbelief and their faith fades quickly in the desert. Here's the reality. This is the first thing I want to bring to you today. Here's the contrast. As I studied this, I came to this realization that brought such clarity to the entire plight of the Israelite people and resonates so strongly in me and my life because I believe we are in this very same story. We don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit it, but time after time, God has done things in our life, and yet we respond with unbelief. Time after time, God has done amazing things, and yet our response is unbelief. So we are in this story whether we like it or not. So why does it happen? I believe many people in this room, and myself included, and this is why. What God meant as preparation, the Israelites saw as punishment. I need you to understand this today. What God designed orchestrated what God laid out for them, they never saw as such. Let me just tell you this, sometimes your deliverance looks like a desert. Sometimes the process of your deliverance looks a lot like a desert, but you know what? God's gotta take you through a desert before he can bring you to the promises. So let me just tell somebody, you are not being punished by the things that God is trying to do. You are being prepared this morning. But because the Israelites only saw punishment, they responded with unbelief every single time. But look, your deliverance may present itself as a desert. We want deliverance, but we don't want the desert. Everything that God was doing, every miracle that God worked, fell on deaf ears because they saw it through the lens of punishment and not through preparation. In fact, I didn't read this, but, but God basically said, look, there's a more direct route to the promised land, but I'm afraid that if you get into a battle too early, you're going to turn back to Egypt. God said, I've got to take you through the desert because I've got to build you up to the place that when you do come to the promised land, you're ready to receive it. But because they saw punishment, they responded with disbelief. No matter what God did, they only saw their desert as punishment. They never saw anything through the lens of faith because they felt that they were being punished by God. So they saw punishment because they saw punishment. It did not matter what God did or how many times he did it. And we do the same thing in our lives when it comes to our desert seasons. We can come sit in the most amazing church in the world, hear the preached word of God every single week, but we sit in a seat of punishment that we built for ourselves. so no matter how faithful God is, I'll respond with disbelief every time. Because I'm not seeing preparation, I'm seeing punishment. What God meant as preparation, the Israelites saw as punishment. And you may be going through a desert right now. Let's rewind to our key text. And I feel like maybe there's someone in this room that maybe you've, you've gone through this yourself. You're in a desert season right now. And we see that God allows the Egyptians to pursue the people of Israel in chapter 14. And he tells Moses, I, I, I'm planning this because this is about my glory. You know what I love about this story? Because God looks at Moses and he says, look, I know this attack is coming. Look, Moses is looking at a Red Sea and there's, there's, no, there's no solution. Like the idea of God parting the Red Sea is not something that Moses is fathoming. Right? He's not like, you know what? If I do this, God's going to No. That's not like an idea in his mind. He has no, he has no idea. He has no, it's impossible. But what I love is God basically says, look, I know that your back's against the wall. I know the attack is coming. I know it's impossible. I know you have no way out, which is, is exactly the point. Because this entire story is about my glory. So I, I, can you just imagine what it had been like to be an Israelite, though, to know that you are up against an, a sea, an ocean, and you see your enemy that you just got away from bearing down on you and maybe in your life right now maybe you feel like you're being chased by your past maybe you feel like you're in a good position but you don't know what's next and all you can think about is what's over your shoulder but let me tell you what's so amazing about this story because the reason that God allowed the Egyptians to chase the Israelites actually he allowed them to chase them through their promise because they were going through the Red Sea their miracle so and what we do is we see a miracle and we think that's it. But we look over our shoulder and be like, oh, I'm going through a miracle, but they're still coming. Well, that, well something must be wrong. But let me just tell you this, and this is the reason why, and you already know probably what I'm going to say, but you understand the reason why God allowed them is because he said, look, the only way I can destroy all the, the Egyptians at one time is if I get them smack dab in the middle of this ocean. So let me tell you what, I'm allowing them to chase you so that I can destroy them. So I want to tell somebody today, you may feel like your past has been chasing you for a long time, but at the right time, at the opportune moment, God's going to close up that ocean behind you, and what was chasing you will be destroyed once and for all. So it's not a sign of God leaving you, it's a sign of God carrying you and destroying what's behind you. You're not being punished this morning, you're being prepared for what's next. And where God's taking you, your enemy can't follow. So just step forward into what God's opening up for you and don't look back behind you. Don't be scared about what's following you because he'll destroy it at the right time. Somebody give God some praise right now. Thank you, Lord. I'm not being punished. I'm being prepared for the future that you have in store. It's not punishment this morning. It's preparation. I'm letting it chase you so that I can destroy it. Somebody this morning, you feel like your mistakes are chasing you. You feel like your past is chasing you. You feel like what has happened to you is chasing you. You feel like even though you're pursuing God, you can't get away from things in your life. But I believe that God is letting them chase you so that he can destroy them. What once held you in bondage will never follow you again. And in fact, again, what I love about this, and I don't have time to preach this, but what I love is that he did this so not only the Egyptian army, but so that from then on the Egyptians would know. Don't mess with them. Don't follow them. So what's going on in your life is not just for you and your enemy, but it's to put the devil on notice. We know that God's good, but after you go through a trial and God shows up again, it's like, you know what? I just want to remind you, devil, of what happened last time. Next time you think about coming back around. That past is not gonna follow you because he's gonna destroy it to the point that even your past knows he is God. It's about his glory. It's not about my ability. It's about the goodness of God. He said, I will display my glory through your enemy. Somebody needs to realize this for your own life. Yes, God has blessed you, but you feel like you go from blessing into punishment. You feel like you go from a good Sunday to a bad Monday. But God is not punishing you. God is preparing you. God meant it as preparation, but they only saw punishment. In chapter 16, they say, if only God had killed us back in Egypt. At least we had food. They're here. We're starving. Over and over, they ask, why were we brought out of Egypt? Why? And they even asked to go back. How could they do that? How could they feel like that? But I realize this with with this this conversation of preparation versus punishment. When you have an improper perspective and you see what God is doing as punishment and not preparation, you will desire bondage. When you have an improper perspective on what God is doing in your life, you will desire to go back because the desert is not comfortable. But bondage brings its own twisted, perverted sort of comfort to your life. So if you are in the desert place that is challenging that is pushing you, that is supposed to be growing you, but you don't see it in the right way, you're going to want to go back to what's comfortable. But what's comfortable is bondage. And so we may look at that and be like, how could they, that's crazy. No, it's not. You do the same thing. You go back to that bad habit when you don't see the, the fruit of the good habit you've tried for two days, like, well, this ain't going to work. I'm going to go back to what I know. It's not punishment. You got to see it. It's not punishment. It's preparation. I know you're frustrated, but it's not punishment. It's preparation. And we see this come to a head in chapter 32 to the extreme that the people completely turned their back on God because they thought it was being punished in the desert. And, And look carefully. It's not because things were bad. It's not because God wasn't doing what he said he would do. It's not because God was going back on his word. No. If you read that passage, again, it was simply because it was taking too long. If you don't trust the plans of God fully, the first thing to go is the timeline of God. The people knew the promises. They knew exactly what was going on. They saw the mountain. They saw Moses go up in the mountain. It wasn't a mystery. They knew what was happening. But because they saw punishment... Instead of preparation, they took the timeline into their own hands and ruined everything. Someone needs to hear this today. And this, I believe, is confirmation of my spirit. This is in my notes. I will read it to you. If you're in Sunday school, this will connect with you. But a song that we used to sing growing up, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He's an. I can't sing, but I'm going to say it. He's an on-time God. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. I love that song because it's an ever reminder and someone this morning, maybe if you don't get anything else, you need to get this. Somebody needs to put themselves back in the timeline of God. Because here, you cannot separate the plan of God from the process of God. You want the plans, but you don't want to go through the process that it takes to get to the plans. You cannot separate God's plans from God's process. So you're you're, you're sad and you're frustrated because you don't see the plans of God coming to pass, but you walked away from the process a long time ago you got to trust the plans of God, and you got to trust the process of God. You know, let let me say it like this. Somebody needs to stop sacrificing what's right for what's right now. Because what's right now may please your flesh in the moment, but it may not be what's right. And you know what's right, but because it's not right now, you're willing to give it up because you see this here now. Somebody's got to stop sacrificing what's right for what's right now you got to put yourself back in God's timeline. You're frustrated because you don't see it coming to pass? Just keep trusting. You're not being punished. You're being prepared. God's still working on you. You may be in the desert, but that doesn't mean God is absent. That means God is preparing you. That means you got to get a little stronger. That means that he's still taking you there. You're not being punished this morning. You're being prepared. The reason you're so messed up this morning is not because God has changed or even changed his mind about you or even changed his plans concerning your life. You just did not want to wait on him. You weren't satisfied with God's timeline. You keep going back to your bad habits because you weren't patient enough to wait on God to come through when you exhibit good habits. Well, I've been coming to church for three weeks now and I don't see my financial blessing coming through. Well, maybe God's still preparing you because it's bigger than what you expected. Maybe God's just still working on you because he's got more in store than what you can handle right now. But if you just see punishment, you're not going to get what he's trying to give you. Because he's not punishing you, he's preparing you. Your desert isn't punishment. It's preparation for the future that God has for you. But if you don't use this time properly, you won't be ready for the blessing God has when it comes. Because the people saw everything happening as punishment and now preparation for their future, they refuse to wait on God. So, what's the difference maker between preparation and punishment? What, how, what's the difference? What's the key ingredient? Why did they see punishment and not preparation? Why do we see things that way and how can we avoid it? The missing ingredient is so simple to say, so hard to really live out, is faith. Oh, that's easy. It's faith. Faith that God knows what he's doing. Because faith keeps you dedicated to the course. Faith is so important because we can't see exactly where God is taking us, but we have to understand that he is taking us. You know, in other areas of life, preparation is easy to understand and respond to accordingly because we can see the outcome. We know exactly what's going to happen. A player on a basketball team understands this. Team comes to practice. Coach begins barking orders. Everyone on the baseline, we're going to run suicides. You don't play basketball? That's a lot. It's, just, it's, it's the word. It's, it's aptly named, okay? There's it's lots of running. We're going to run suicides, right? We're, we're going to run drills. But if a player sees that as punishment, it's going to affect the way he views every single exercise. Because he thinks it's punishment, he, he's going he's to drag his feet. He's going to do the bare minimum. When practice, he's going to jet. He's going to be out of there. But the driven athlete knows at the end of the week there's a game. At the end of the season, there's a championship. He knows the goal. If he knows where he's going, he's not going to see those things as punishment, Because he knows they're preparing him. On top of that, even things that feel like punishment, he embraces. Why? Because he understands that his pain is actually strengthening him. So all of a sudden, with that perspective change, he's not begging to leave practice. He's begging to stay. He's coming early for the punishment that he knows the coach is about to dish out. And what I'm saying, what I'm saying to someone is I believe that you came in here begging the devil, oh, please leave me alone. Can you just give me a break this week? But I believe that with the right perspective, you can walk out of this and on a Monday morning and say, hey, well, guess what? Bring it on, devil, because what you think is actually beating me down is just making me stronger. So, yeah, give me your best shot, because the only thing you're actually doing is preparing me. Because it's not punishment. God is preparing me. So do your worst. 1 Corinthians 9.25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Someone needs to open the filing cabinet of your memory and begin relabeling some things. I'm sure you got, just like me, I'm sure you've got a drawer marked pane, and there's a lot of files put in there. But this morning, maybe you just need to rip that label off and put preparation and just put it on there. Maybe that failed relationship that you feel like you did not deserve that. It was not your fault. You were done wrong. I'm not disagreeing with you. What I'm saying is it's not pain. It's preparation. It's about your perspective. I'm not trying to change your circumstances. You may leave this place and go back to the exact same circumstances, but do you see it as pain alone or do you see it as preparation? Do you see it as punishment, that financial difficulty that you went through? Maybe you went through and now you can see, oh, you know what, God, thank you, because I've got so much experience now. I've got so many things that I can see and use in my life that I wouldn't have had if I wouldn't have gone through that. But if I can just convince someone that's going through right now that it's not just punishment but it's preparation, I believe your perspective can impact your future. It's not punishment, it's preparation. So we jump back to Exodus 32. The people are turning away from God. Moses comes down from the mountain, he sees this, he he breaks the tablets and he has to go and correct the people. We we go through Leviticus, which is all, all about instruction, right? The book of Numbers, they keep moving through the wilderness, complaining the entire way. Then we come to this pivotal chapter, Numbers 13. The 12 scouts explore Canaan. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving To the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the ancestral tribes. So the men go and scout the land and they bring a report back and they say, we entered the land, it's incredible, flowing with milk and honey, but the people are huge. The people are from all different nations, even giants. Verse 30, but Caleb tried to quiet, one of the the scouts tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let's take the land at once. He said, we can certainly conquer it. But look at verse 31. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we fell like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Numbers 14, the top of the chapter is titled, The People Rebel." Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Verse 2, their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. The constant refrain. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They've gotten all the way to the promised land, and they're stuck in Egypt. Then they plotted amongst themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Here we see the consequences of their action, and that brought me to a second realization. How can they look at the land of promise? What they've been preparing for, what God told them he was taking them to, what God told them they could have, what they've been journeying for, the whole point. How could they look at it now and think there's no way to conquer it? And this is what I realized. Hear me. Because I believe that we're stuck in the same Egypt in our lives sometimes. Since they saw punishment instead of preparation, they saw their desert as a sentence and not a season. Since they saw punishment instead of preparation in their desert, they saw their desert as a sentence for their life. And not a season of their life. If they would have understood that the desert was God's preparation. They would have realized this is just a season of my life. But since they perceived their desert as punishment. They resigned themselves to the fact that it was also their sentence. If they could only have seen it was a season of life. They could have learned the lessons that that season offered. They would have taken advantage of that season. They would have realized it's not permanent. I'm not sentenced to this for the rest of my life. I will have what God has promised me. But instead of preparation, they only saw punishment at every turn. So instead of a season of life, they saw a life sentence. But listen to this, because of their disobedience, because of their refusal of God's promises, by their own hand, it did in fact become their sentence. And we see God's response at the end of Numbers 14. If you want to take time to read it, he basically says, fine. Since you have no faith, since you've taken faith out of the equation, since you've complained against me, since you won't take the land I've told you, since you don't think I can do it, since you don't think you can do it, everyone from this generation, 20 and up, all of you will wander the wilderness for the rest of your life. You will not enter or occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua, the two spies who said, we can do it. And this is what grips me this morning. What was meant to be a season, what was meant to be preparation, turned to exactly what they thought it was, punishment and a sentence. Not because of what God did. Not because of God's plan. Not because of God's will. Not because of what God said. But in spite of it, their refusal to listen to God resulted in them doing the exact thing they were accusing God of doing. And at that point, it was too late for those Israelites who had rebelled against God. They had decided their own fate. But I bring this to you today because I believe that somebody, your future, hangs in the balance of your perspective. Your future is not dependent upon the goodness of God's plans Because we know his plans are good. Your future is not dependent on the ability of God to come through on his promises. Because we know he comes through. Your future is dependent on your perspective about the season of life that you find yourself in. What do you do in your desert? Your future, my friend, is entirely dependent on what you do in the desert. God doesn't want you to go through this. He wants you to grow through this. So I humbly submit as I come to a close today that the season you are in is not a life sentence. You are not bound by your mistakes forever. You are not stuck in an endless desert of depression and loneliness. Your brokenness is not permanent. What you are going through is not God's punishment upon you, but God's way of preparing you for the future He has in store. God is not punishing you with a sentence. He's preparing you for a season. You may be going through a desert, but I'm here to tell you it's just a season. And I believe that someone may be coming out of that season to see what God has in store for you. Will you stand this morning? I know I've been passionate, I've been excited, and I know I went through a lot of scriptures, a lot of content, I get that. But I believe that looking at the story of the Israelites, sheds so much light on our own perspective and to me highlights just how depraved my own life and perspective can be without the goodness of god but we see a sealed fate for the israelites is an open door for us today i'm here to tell somebody that you are not being punished i'm going to say it as many times as i can while i'm behind this pulpit you are not being punished sir You are not being punished, man, I know it's frustrating. I know it's difficult, but you are being prepared. You are not being sentenced. It's just a season. And I believe that someone, today, it is a turning point. The season that you have been in, the season of depression, that season of isolation, that season of financial difficulty, what feels like a never-ending sentence, I'm here to tell you is just a season. I'm not trying to stand up here and say 2022 is going to be your year. We've all heard that before. No, what I'm saying is that when I look at this story, I realize that sometimes the only thing holding you back from God bringing you out of a season into what he has promised you is a shift in your perspective. Because they didn't send 12 spies because they couldn't tell what to see. They sent 12 spies to figure out how do we see it. They sent 12 spies to get a consensus. So let me just say something else. You may may be saying, well, you don't understand my circumstances. You you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my life, you you don't understand. I don't care. I don't mean that in a bad way. What I'm saying is I don't disagree with your observation of your life. I don't disagree with what's happening in your life that it's difficult. It is difficult. I'm sure it is. It is tough. What I'm disagreeing with is your conclusion. Because they sent 12 and 10 came back saying, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. The two came back. They didn't say, no, nah, they're not that big. No, it's not that. Not, the land isn't that hard. And they said, yes, yes, we're like grasshoppers, but let's take it. Yeah. We're like grasshoppers, but, but we've already been through the desert. We can do this. So I'm, I'm here to tell somebody this morning. Again, maybe, maybe it's pain. And here's, here's what I want to say about pain because I want to come back to this because I just feel this in my spirit. You pray this prayer. God, take this pain from me. God, I don't want it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to carry it. I don't want to hold it. But if you're doing that, and, and God can do that, and he has done that for many people, I know that. But what I, what I want to submit to you today is that if your prayer is, God, take this pain away, I don't want it, then maybe you're seeing pain as punishment. God, take this punishment. So maybe your shift needs to be stopping praying, God, just take this away, and shift that prayer to, God, this hurts, this is painful, but show me how you want to use it. Because this is a part of who I am so I'm not going to pray I'm not going to leave this place frustrated because I'm not pain free maybe, maybe God's will for your life is not to be pain free but to understand the preparation in the pain because I want to tell somebody you're being prepared it's so painful though, I get it you're being prepared, it's a difficult season yes it is, it is a desert, I'm not trying to say it's not a desert I'm not trying to say it's wonderful, I'm trying to say God's trying to do something in the desert so this morning, this is what I'm appealing to I'm appealing to those people who you feel punished by God for whatever reason, and I'm not here to say you're bad, you're wrong, no, I'm trying to say you just need a perspective shift that God is preparing you, God is doing something in your life, and then I'm, I'm speaking to people that you feel like you are serving a life sentence for something. Maybe it was something that was done to you, something that was said to you, maybe your identity has been shaped by your desert, but your desert is just a season, it's not a sentence. So I'm going to open these altars in just a moment, but I want to pray before we do that because I know there's some, you may not feel comfortable coming down to the front and that's fine, I'm going to let pastor come and take this. and. And and lead the way he wants, but I'm going to say that I want to open these altars. If it's your first time here I just want to say what what I love about altars is altars, it's a physical representation of what's happening spiritually. By spiritually saying God, I want to receive your word. I want to step out from where I am and I want to make a change. We can signify that by just physically saying, you know what, I'm going to literally step out and I'm going to come down and respond. There's people their team will be here to pray, I'm sure but let me just say this, I want to pray over you because I believe that every single person we are in this story somewhere. We are in this story. Because we're not exempt from the troubles of life. We're not exempt from deserts, but it's what we do in the desert that defines what God can do in our life because what we will accept from him. So right now, before we open the altar, I just want us to pray together. Right now, Jesus, God, I pray for every person in this room, Lord. God, you see their circumstances. Lord, you see the, the difficulty they may be going through. God, there's someone I believe they may be going through a desert season right now, but Lord, today is the day. Because they're shifting their perspective, God. Maybe they've turned their back on you for what they felt like was a good reason. But today, God, I pray that someone can see that the pain that they've experienced is not your punishment upon them. But even through that pain, God, you're preparing them for the future that you have in store. And God, for someone that feels like they're serving a sentence of their mistakes. God, for someone that feels like they're serving a sentence for what someone has done to them. God, I appeal to them today that they're not serving a life sentence, God. But it's just a season. And you'll want to bring them out of that season. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, but I invite you. I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.